All right, guys, welcome back to another Magnus and Marcus podcast. I'm joined, as always, by John Marcus. Welcome, John. Thanks, guys. Hey, just me today. Phoebe Wright had some big things to do, so we had to leave her at home for this one. (laughs) (laughs) So, sorry to disappoint. I'm sure she's always got more interesting things to do than than we do, so. Um, Sure. (laughs) Really appreciate Phoebe coming though. It was it was a really popular episode as as I figured it would be. She's much more interesting than we are, but we're gonna we're gonna give it another go this week and appreciate you guys listening. And in our little chat, our uh, our pre podcast chat, we got to talking about a systems first process approach to training, right? And mm-hmm. and and when I hear those words, I think a lot of people are. Let's step back. When people hear or ask about your training, a lot of times they ask, hey, what's your training system? Like, what's your, what's your system to do it? Do you use this Lydiard system? Do you use this Daniel system? And that's kind of what we're ingrained to think about and how to approach training. Would you agree? Yeah, without a doubt. I think that's a very you know, Western mindset of we need a recipe. You need to follow this prescription. We need to get these many miles in per week with this many at this pace, this much in at this pace, and so on and so forth. And if you have that recipe, you have that sense of security that you put the chocolate chip cookies in the oven at 450 for 15 minutes, we didn't come out perfect without getting burnt. Yep, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And I think... I, I think that's kind of what we're we're brought up to, and where we just uh, kind of copy it. You know, I was I was um, I was talking to the kid who was my former grad assistant for the last three years, and now went on to be a a, a cross country or a head cross country coach at a small D one university. And he was talking to me about how he was develop, developing his approach to training and how he was you know, reaching out to other coaches and friends. And, and one of the things he noticed, and he was kind of caught by surprise, is he's like, hey, he's like, hey, Steve, a lot of these people just, like, they take this one approach. Like, they take this, this, hey, I coach by Daniels, and I copy everything they do. Or I coach using Cohen Martin, and I copy their schedules. And and he was he was entirely confused because... Like the way we've always done it is almost you, you come you develop your own approach by a, attacking you know the process of training and then a, the process of trying to accomplish what you're trying to do. Um, so why don't we start a little bit about with how you think the systems versus process approach is a little different? Well, I. I think first off, you know, you always talk to coaches in the distance training world, and it's like, oh, what type of coach guy are you, or coach are you? Are you a layer guy? Exactly. Are you, a, you know, are you a V Hill guy? Are you a Sepco? Are you a Bowerman type guy? And people like to go with what they know works. Oh, this worked for Bowerman, so we're going to do this, and we're just going to continue to do this, even though our understanding of training and physiology has progressed in the last fifty years. But this worked back in the 60s and 70s where we can do it. Or this worked for Peter Coe and Seb in the 80s, 
And he ran so fast, so it's going to work for us, you know, mere mortals who are infinitely slower <laughs> and less driven, you know, or work for V Hill and his guys at Adam State, you know, and his national champions. So it's going to work for my JV high school first time kids. And I think, you know, that's that's where the intelligence of a coach really comes into play. It's that emotional sensitivity of knowing what your end game is with an athlete so how long you may have to work with an athlete if you're a high school coach you could have this you know freakish senior who comes out for track who played football and basketball and then came out for track a senior year and you have three months with this kid or maybe you are a bob larson type guy where you have an athlete that's recruited in high school and you coach for their entire career for two plus decades. Um, but I think the assessment standpoint comes in where you're always trying to figure out how to maximize an athlete's capabilities within the given window that you have to work with them and within the given championship or given end game that you're trying to get them to. So Again, it might be three months to that state final. It might be two years, three years to, you know, uh, the Olympic trials or the Olympic final, what have you. And I think that's where this kind of sensitivity and this more empathetic and emotional component comes in. As I always try to be the yin to Steve Science Yang, uh, where it's like, hey, you got to really know your athlete, and that. That's unfortunately a process that takes time. The relationship component between an athlete and coach is something that can take, you know, months and sometimes years to really develop. But two, you gotta watch and you gotta notice and you gotta like look at them and how they react and respond to different stimuli, whether they're whereas actual training stimulus, run this, do this, lift this, jump here, do XYZ, or emotional stimulus and how they deal with success and failure. Like Good coaching, you know, going back to our previous pod, you know, where we really, really um, encourage everyone not to be a lazy coach. So the opposite of lazy coaching, which is good coaching, is a slow-cooked process. I mean, a a slow-cooked meal has a lot more flavor and density than a microwave meal. And that's where we are now. We're in, I feel like we're in microwave training where it's like, hey, here's this unpackage it, put it in, put it on four minutes on high, and you'll have this great meal ready to eat. And it will fill you up. Yes, you will have a meal. But the difference between a microwaved training system and a (laughs) slow-cooked process where you're constantly tasting the sauce, putting in a little spice, putting in, adding a little bit more of this, a touch of that, you know, yields dividends of difference. Yeah, I love that analogy. I mean... The way I see it is, like, the microwaved meal is this, like, going through the motions, doing A, B, and C because you've got A, B, and C planned or you've always done that, done it this way and just kind of going through the motions and doing that. It's like when you watch athletes work, warm up, right? So if you're a coach and you're watching athletes warm up, the more they do it, the more almost sloppy it gets if you don't reinforce it, right? Because it just becomes this thing where, oh, I have to do these drills and I'm going to go through the motions to get them done, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and in this microwave coaching approach, I feel like if you watch a coach in their group, you can tell during the warm-up if they're engaged or not. Because the coach taking the microwave approach just wants them to get through that warm-up 
no matter how how they do it, so they can start this workout that's predetermined, right? The slow cook coach will take that warm up, and he might not do anything different. He might not say anything, but he's observing and using that warm up as a, as clues to understand where each athlete is individually in terms of emotional readiness, physical readiness, if they're popping off the ground, right? If they're looking sluggish, if their shoulders are dropped, like looking for these clues that will clue them into how to adjust and get what you need out of the next part of the workout, right? So it's almost like you're doing this reactive coaching to understand how to bring about this this nice slowly cooked meal versus we need to do A, then we need to do B, then we need to do C, and it doesn't really matter how they're done. Right. And it's tough to do that because let's say you have a team of 100 high school cross-country athletes and there's three coaches. You know, maybe you can't have that alertness that you need because Susie has a hangnail and Bobby forgot his flats and now you're, <laughs> you know, distracted during the warm-up. But I really encourage you, like, on workout days or on those days, you know, let's say quick problem-solving to that is if you can, you know, kind of fan the warm-ups, like have the varsity group start the warm-up, you know, at this interval and then have the JV group start to warm-up 10 minutes later and then have the, you know, frost group start the warm-ups 10 minutes after that because it's in the warm-up that determines what's going to happen in the workout day for at least me and the athletes I coach. So we do, uh, you know, besides, you know, your kind of general movement, whether it's running, biking, you know, this or that, dynamic drills as they're now called, um, you know, that's all part of the warm-up patterning. But for us on like the running specific workout days, we do what we call activation. So in cross-country, it's typically a half mile at a threshold type effort and then, you know, a handful of 200s at kind of 5K, 3K pace and then a handful of 100-meter strides, you know, with about 200 meters recovery in between it. So no more than like two minutes, 60 seconds to two minutes. And we have this standard warm-up that we use for cross-country and then in track it changes for the middle distance people versus the distance people. And then it also changes as we get closer to your championship race or, you know, when you're kind of wanting to click on all cylinders. But we do this consistent activation because, one, there's a host of physiological reasons to kind of, you know, engage your aerobic system, engage your neuromuscular system. Just It just is this engaging component because, again, how many times has, you know, for athletes listening or former athletes or now coaches, you've done the first rep of a workout and it just feels awful you're like oh my god there's no way i can do this well you haven't essentially turned on your system but you're like well i did these i ran for 20 minutes i did these fancy drills i did some strides it should be ready to go well last time i checked if you're trying to do like a v you know vo2 type velocity workout or aerobic threshold type workout if you don't do the specific energy system you're trying to engage before the start of the workout how do you expect to feel good for that the workout (laughs) if you're trying to stroke the energy system so again you know coming back from that tangent that tells us a lot about how an athlete's feeling on that day because we know what, oh, man, 
you know, like for my for women I work with, oh, I just crushed that in like 245, coach, and I just feel awesome. Okay, great. Like 530 pace felt really easy for 800 meters. Okay, you're ready to go. Like, oh, man, I just ran three flat, and now it's like, oh, I'm just kind of, I feel like I'm swimming in cement here, coach. Okay, and then I'm going to immediately, based on that, you know, how that activation goes and how you look and how you feel and what, you know, that perception of effort requisite to the times are, I'm going to adjust the workout right then and there. It's going to, you know, be completely different, you know, based on what the feedback I get versus what I had on paper, you know, if you're feeling great or if you're feeling awesome. Because, you know, we're trying to get the most we can out of a session on that work day, but, you know, not trying to do something that's going to either, one, blow you up, or two, leave you emotionally distraught. And I think sometimes it's tough because in a systems-oriented you know, way of coaching, you have to do what's on the piece of paper. Yep. The piece of paper says today is mile repeats at this <laughs> pace, and I have to do it. Otherwise, I'm no good. <laughs> and <laughs> you know, and I, it's a double-edged sword of the distance runner. Like, um, you know, that anal retentiveness is a value because it gets you out the door every day, you know, up early in the morning to do your, you know, uh, AM run or, you know, forces you to go long, get your long run done in or hit however many miles you're supposed to hit for that week. But again, you have to understand it's like anything in life. Life is a range. I mean, you know, another tangent here on weight, real quickly, it's like people ask me, oh, what weight should I be coached? Well, you, your weight fluctuates throughout the day based on, you know, in the morning when you have your bowel movement, how much food you consume, how much you sweat during a run, how much, you know, that you consume from a water standpoint, etc. It fluctuates about three to four pounds depending any given day. So to say you need to be at 150 pounds on the nose every day, it, it, it misses the mark. Now, if you're in the, between 148 to 150, you know, two, all right, that's pretty solid. You're, you're about, you know, yeah. and you know, you race well off that, okay, great. But it, it, in that range, and it's the same thing here. It's like, you know, how many miles should I run a week? You know, people ask. It's like, <laughs> well, it's a range depending on your background experience. If you're coming off injury, how much hard stuff you're doing, what's, what are you doing that's not running related? You know, are you doing... You know, are you a multi-sport athlete playing soccer and running cross-country in high school? Like, are you helping your team? I mean, all those things, you know, have to come into consideration. I think the good coaches are the ones who can surmise all that very, very rapidly and be able to make the proper judgment call in the, that space and time versus the lazy coaches are the ones who, like, have to be like, oh, I don't know. Because you never, as a coach, right, the one one thing as a coach you never want to say to an athlete i don't know it's just you know for some reason there's this you know you lose this authority if you don't know in front of your athlete and honest to god i don't know all the time <laughs> like i'm always <laughs> like yeah like why am i like this today it's like yeah i don't know and, and then i have to go through like you know 21 questions with the yep. athlete to say well how's your sleep how's your stress you know general stress what do you eat you know, what else did you do? How did you come off that workout? Whether it's like, and then through asking a lot of questions, tell me more questions, essentially, I can get a general idea about maybe why you're not feeling so great on this day. But it's like, I don't know why you're not feeling great, you know, and just because I have some arbitrary system that says every two days we have to do a workout. And now on every now you don't feel good to do a workout every two days. 
oh no, is there something wrong with you? Is completely asinine, in my <laughs> opinion. You know, it is the epitome of lazy coaching. It, it is. No, that's a good good point. And I think, you know, one of the points you brought up there was was basically expectations, right? So when we when we have a certain system that dictates dictates workouts for the day and workout paces and it's like okay this workout you have four by mile at you know 440 pace with this many rest and this is your workout and you don't budge from that as you set you basically set yourself up where you either succeed or failure right there's no middle ground it's either i had good success or i failed right yeah, exactly, and, and, and it's it it's fake too yeah, in a lot it, of ways. It's it, very oh, superficial it because uh, because all all it is is like us deciding, right? I mean, it's like, oh, I'm going to predict you can do this. So it's not really a failure or success. It's just based on what we guessed, and maybe we guessed wrong. So you know, one of the things that that you know. I get question I get a lot in, in coaching is like, okay, yeah, yeah, we get it. We should adjust workouts, but like how do you do this in this larger setting? And the and the the way I, I do it with my own team is yes, like we give workouts and sometimes I give paces and sometimes I give rests and sometimes I don't, but on occasion there there's times when everyone knows what they're doing that day. But what we've done is create an atmosphere where it's not a drawback if it changes because there is an expectation that something will be, will change. So if mid-workout, I'm like, hey, you, stop doing miles. I want you to do two by eight now instead. There's no arguing. There's no thinking. It's like, okay, this is now best for me. I'm doing this, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that coaching on the fly in this giant group setting is something that, as a coach, you have to understand. I mean, there's been instances where the guys joke about it where I'll be doing a tempo run with the team or back before my injury, I was doing a tempo (laughs) run with the team and it would be like, Oh, I'm going to go in this range. But the reality is like coach is going to tell me to stop at some random point whenever he sees that I'm going over the edge. Right. Right. And and that's what would occur because it's like, I can predict roughly where I think you're going to get for the stress that I want. But the reality is, we don't know until we see it. Mm-hmm. And I think having that open flexibility to not have this workout be as either success or failure, but instead being, we're going to try and get X adaptation out of it or right. X stress out of it. This is the goal. And I, as a coach, am going to guide you to get there. And you're going to put in the effort, but I'll help guide you. And when we get there, I'll let you know, you know? And, mm-hmm. and I think that's, that's how the process of training and workouts and all that should work, at least in my mind. And it's, it's, uh, you have to have a lot more knowledge and you have to be a lot more tuned to coach like that. Yes. It may seem very random. It may seem like, what are we doing? But it's like if you're starting off and you want – because all any workout is from a running standpoint or even a weight room or plyo or what have you – is you're just trying to incur a certain stimulus to then get a requisite, you know, adaptation on the organism in however time or calendar that you hope happens. And there's a lot of things outside your control, right? How much sleep that athlete's getting, how much stress they're under, did they, you know, break up with their boyfriend, do they have a new boyfriend? I mean, you know, those are all different things that are going to impact 
the ability for them to get that adaptation. You know, if you're dealing with younger scholastic level athletes, but if you know what what you're gearing towards um, an athlete and what you're trying to get out of that session, you can make those adaptations very quickly. Here's a great example. Actually, just this week, you know, Tara Welling, she, you know, we originally had planned like mile repeats for her on Wednesday before you know, the 20K that she's coming up in racing here on uh, Labor Day in New Haven. And it wasn't going well. The Ma repeats just weren't going as, you know, we wanted. <laughs> it is just like, oh, man, this is not good. Okay, how do we still get maximize the value out of this session, you know, to the point where, like, you can do it and you're going to get the value you want but not completely blow you up? You know, with the short term of, okay, you have this 20 carries, but the long term is you're preparing for a half marathon in a couple months. So you have to balance that out. Like, how important is this doing well this 20K versus being prepared to run, you know, the and be competitive at the speed you want to be competitive at for this half marathon in a couple months? And so we had this discussion, and, you know, she's, you know, bless her heart, very, very much just that kind of. You know, a lot like my wife, very A-type personality, as they say, like, this is it, I'm going to get it done, it's going to happen, boom, 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 and that's part of what makes her really good. But at the same time, too, she's like, well, what's the point? Why should I do this? Why should I make this alteration? You know, we you know, changed it to kind of a roll-on workout where it was uh, 400 meters at, like, 75, 74 with 100-meter jog at six-minute pace, and we did that four, four times, which is 2K. So, you know, the last three reps, instead of being miles, were faster than the pace that we had like 77 76 originally planned for the miles but she was able to run at those critical speeds but you only get 25 seconds 23 25 seconds rest in between these 74 second quarters your body doesn't know the difference <laughs> exactly you know like your body is still getting the same physiological response but you're able to do it versus just grind out hit your head over hit yourself over the head to try to run you know at 70 76 77 for for laps and not be able to do it and then all of a sudden create this like fatigue and overwhelming response that then you now compromise recovery and you're completely fried exactly. for the next week it, but it's like you got to know those things you got to know what stimulus you're trying to get and why you're doing it like a lot of stuff you know the running workouts that steve and i probably do with our athletes do not look incredibly fancy you know repeat thousands progressive threshold runs tempo yep. runs of you know four to eight miles like you know repeat miles like three by two miles i mean it's just like it's like oh everyone does this stuff these guys are you know these guys are just copycats well when you take away the distance and you look at the time that's what i, I always look at time because your body has no idea what the distance is and if you look at the time you know you're trying to get repeat because basically i told someone one day like Every workout's a fartlek workout in some way, shape, or form. I mean, everything is, you know, certain minutes or seconds on, certain minutes or seconds off at certain varying speeds. But when you take it away and you look at what you're trying to accomplish within those time intervals that you're, you're on or you're running hard at a certain pace or a certain perceived level of effort versus, you know, taking time to recuperate or re rejuvenate from those hard bouts, then, you know, it starts to make a lot more sense because ultimately you know we're trying to make it so the athlete can is prepared to race the given you know time that they want to race for the given distance with zero breaks yeah because that's really what running is it's an it's an 
you know, we don't get a timeout like soccer or, or we don't get a halftime like soccer. We don't get timeouts like basketball. It's just go, go until you finish, Bill. And, you know, we're always like trying to figure, I'm always trying to figure out how do we prepare the athlete that we're working with for their goal race to go until they finish and be competitive where they're going to, you know, in what area they're going to be competitive in that race. Because ultimately what we're trying to do, we're trying to make the most competitive athlete or team possible. And sometimes I feel like, and here's a little quick rant, you know, if I haven't been on one here, but I feel like sometimes we, we punt and we forgo what competition is actually about this, you know, the art of, you know, being competitive for, Oh, well, you got a good PR. Oh, well, yep. you ran this one time trial. And I was explaining to an athlete the other day, well, it's a, there's a big difference between running one fast 1500 versus running three fast 1500s at like, you know, a world championship level where you're closing at 51 three days out of six days yep. in a week. You know, as, I mean, you know, look at like Robbie Andrews and Liam Lozano, like, the reason people are like, why didn't they do so well in the final? Well, Robbie and Leo had to run really hard in their prelims and semis to make their final. They had to close very, you know, Robbie was in that the fastest prelim, and he had to close hard in his semi to make that final. You know, that's tough to do. You know, to run at those critical speeds of fifty-eight seconds per quarter. And then be able to, you know, switch gears rapidly and have the central nervous system contract at such, you know, high contraction rates and create such force output with the ground and then have to come and do it again and again, you know, within a short period of time. That's tough. And we don't, unfortunately, prepare in America to do that because everyone wants, just wants to run a smooth time trial race. Where it's like, oh, what's the easiest way to run 334, 333? I'll just run this pace per lap all the way through and kick the last 100 meters and you're good. And then, hey, you know what we're going to do? We're going to rest for three weeks. And we're, just gonna, yeah. you re, we're just going to reset and we're just going to you know, recover. Yeah. And then we'll do it again or we'll do an 800 and we'll take it real easy on you. Because yeah. we don't want to get you hurt. And we yeah. don't. But it, it, unfortunately, it does not prepare, you know that that and it's, it's not to say anything about Robbie or Leo's training because they have great coaches who are really smart guys but it's just the way the competitive system is set up right now for the spring racing calendar in America well the demands does, are different yeah it doesn't lend itself to yep. then having a stellar world championship so i mean those types of subtleties have even if you're a high school coach and you have a dual meet and invitational schedule but if you are like in California and you have you know conference regional sectionals subsectionals duh, 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 to just get to the state championship you got to take all that stuff into consideration when you're programming your training and while you're on that track for a workout saying how does this help or how does this benefit what we're asking to do today for the athlete you know what the end game is for that season exactly no i mean if if uh getting back before you went on your rant uh, sorry, I didn't mean. Uh, I'm sorry, people. Hopefully, you guys got a cup of tea. That was. It's <laughs> all right. I'm going to get back to one of those points. But yeah. um, you know, when you're talking about workout adjustments and and breaking uh, Tara's workouts down into rolling 400s, for example, you know, one of the biggest inspirations um, whenever I think of that is is the old coach Hungarian coach Igloy, right? Mm-hmm. When, whenever I've looked at his training or talked to 
other coaches who who trained under him, I'm always amazed because I think here's this guy who took all the components of of training and did it all in intervals, right? But he he manipulated in such a way that they could do 100 meter repeats and it would be a tempo threshold workout, yeah, right. And I think that's the brilliance of that system is that it was entirely kind of processed, orientated, and where Igloy sat there and said, I need this kind of demand. How do I get this? What does my athlete look like during this rep? Because he would never tell them the full workout. He'd be like, all right, this set, go do this, right? Mm -hmm. And he'd see how they looked, and then he'd say, okay, now do this. And not saying that that's all we need to do, but it's, it's brilliant because I think sometimes we have to remind ourselves is that like you said, if someone's doing, you know, if someone's doing a four-mile tempo run at five thirty pace for a woman, and they're starting to to crater at, you know, two miles for whatever reason, you don't just push on and be like, "Well, I need a tempo effort, so I'm going to do four to eight miles at this pace because that's what that's what the book says improves my lactate threshold." No, you sit there <laughs> and you, you say, "All right, they can't obviously do this, but what if I do split it into, you know." two-minute segments with, you know, 45 seconds off. Can they do it then? Okay, they can. Or, nope, can't do that. Well, you know what? I'm going to do minute on, 30 seconds off, and we're just going to keep that rhythm and get that good, that same aerobic workout, but now they can break it down to where they can handle it. Because mm-hmm. you're, overall, you're looking for that stress. You don't you don't care whether it's, you know, to a degree in, in a straight tempo segment or in this kind of split up quasi tempo segment it's about getting that stress most of the time and i can't i can't tell you how many times i mean i can think of times with world-class athletes where they've i've broken tempos down and said nope all right we're gonna do one minute segments like extreme opposite and it's gone from a failure of a workout to walking away saying all right we got what we needed out of this workout right and And, this the tissues in the cells and the heart, they don't know. They don't know anything different. They don't know, you know, if you're doing two-mile tempo repeats for one minute on, 30 seconds off. Like, I mean, if you're getting that stimulus on the tissues and the cells and the body and the heart and the lungs, your body's going to adapt. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. No, I mean, that, that's the thing. It's when you're looking at, at stressing and adapt, adapting to it. That's all that matters, right? I mean, when we're trying to build some sort of build some sort of capacity, mm-hmm. it's stress, rest, growth, adapt, right? So it, it doesn't matter, and I think we get caught up too many, too much in like defining these these uh, you know defined set zone systems where it's like, well, this A leads to B, so I have to do A. No, there's a million different ways to get to B, and. You know, tying your rant all together, I'm going to try and bring this back around. Well, it'll be impressive if in, you do. <laughs> in some way. But I think this, this, this gets at the systems versus process approach, right? So when I started, when we started talking about this, I, I thought back to a nice little research study that looked at, um, since I'm the science guy, I have to even this out with some research, um, <laughs> but that, that looked at basically how how the brain prepares for like movement patterns. Like how do we learn movement patterns? Um, in this instance, I think it was a baseball player like catching a ball, right? But they what they did is they found that novices, right, 
have this one very distinct pattern, okay? And, and they can follow this path, and, and as long as it follows this path, they can do it, right? So if the mm-hmm. ball goes in this certain direction and they only have to put their glove up in this direction, they're going to get it, okay? But what experts have is experts have this, this just gross pattern, okay? They have this gross model where they kind of have an idea of where the movement's going to happen, but it's not a defined path. And the reason that works is because it gives them this flexibility to work within this bigger model. And that, that's what allows them to adapt and adjust and all that stuff. And I think that is what we're getting at in, these, in this workout description, this process for system is we're saying we get the system, right? It's to have, it's to do X workout to do, to, to accomplish A, B, or C, right? But the process is, yeah, we need to accomplish these physiological, metabolic, neuromuscular changes, but the process to get them can be a myriad of different things. And as coaches, we need this gross, big pattern, this big model that gives us the flexibility to go in any number of different directions based on how we see the athlete, how the athlete responds, and it's our job to take them in these many directions. I call it the Larry Bird and Magic Johnson phenomenon, what your scientific study just described. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's this great documentary that was, that was out on them, and you hear about it a lot. You know, and I'm, I grew up a big basketball geek, but and in that at the tail end of their um, careers, that's when I came into the NBA world, but they saw the game so differently. It was a different you know viewpoint of the game and it was like they were creating on the fly based on what defense where the ball was how they i mean it it was just it's more like a symphony right and that's that's what the gross model is it's it's not a solo act where okay all you have is a guitar and rift and it's just that's what you're going to do you know you're as a coach you're a conductor and you have to be able to know how the you know brass um, instruments are doing and the strings and the drums and you know you ha- and then be able to like blend them all together so it creates this harmonious sound that's appeasing and that I listen to and that's really what a good you know s- like process oriented approach to coaching is and you see that development where you have this like kind of opening you have this crescendo you have this climax and it's this amazing piece that just goes on without a hiccup now if you study like say the like the great conductors like those guys can hear in the course of a symphony you know whether it's in practice or actually you know in the performance they can hear when the trombone's a little off key or you know the drum came in a half second late and like they they notice it and they give them like an eye in the middle of the performance i mean and that's what we're trying to get towards is being able to to have that mastery so to speak that you know complete craftsmanship and that global understanding so that when those unexpected things come up in practice, then you can, you know, go through these, you know, series of checks. Like that's what I'm always doing is going through a series of checks of like, okay, how close are we to this really important race? How long does it take you to adapt from this stimulus? All right, how much can we, how much volume can we do? How much can we do? Okay. And then that will then pep, you know, peppering or that will then, being peppered with those self questions about, you know, what the immediate and the long term developmental 
I, you know, trajectory is for an athlete or a team will then influence how I approach what's going on if things aren't going to plan. You know, and I always tell people this, it's like, when I was a coach, I was very, very meticulous about, you know, systems-oriented approach. Like, I had right training out. Hey, here's the training for the whole season. Done. Here it is. Here's every day. Here's what we're going to do. Here's the reps. Here's how you can get better. This week we're going to do, you know, repeat miles at this pace. Next week we're going to do them two seconds faster. And then we'll do them two seconds faster after that. Da, 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 da. And I used to put training up on the board and say, okay, hey, here's what the next two weeks is for you guys. And, you know, just look to it. And it was, took me about a week of coaching to rip that thing off the board and just realize, you know what, that that's great. I was that excited about it, but it didn't work at all. In one week, I was like, yeah, I'm not doing this anymore. I mean, also, again, pattern and right training and, you know, write out, you know, months of training for an athlete, you know, depending on how long we have to work together towards their uh, goal or end race or end game. But I'll be a lot like Igloy. I will not tell people everything that's in a workout session. It's like, hey, do this. Okay, this is great. Hey, do this. This is great. Yeah, we might want to do one more or two more. Uh, okay, how you feeling? You know, great example, too, is like this weekend with my wife. She was getting ready for the Providence 5K Championships. And, you know, she needed to do something hard. And she needed to do something that was going to really test her. And, you know, it was the last hard effort she could probably do before that race, which is in a couple weeks. So, you know, another kind of like roll-on or igloo-ish type workout, like 5, 4, 3, 2, but with a 200-meter like roll-on recovery at about 6-minute mile pace. So she's doing her... 500 at like 520 pace, her 400 at like 77, her 300 is at 74 quarter pace, and then just her last 200 fast. So it ends up being, when you couple that with the 200 meter roll on at six minute pace, 2K, you know, repeats. So it was, right. you know, and we wanted to do four to five times 2K repeats. And it was like, okay, great. And, you know, she was flying through them. It was great. She was being challenged. But, you know, last couple, her ability for her body to buffer that lactate and hold off the acidosis was being compromised, but she was still running fast, but she could just, she was laboring harder and working harder. And then, you know, in the beginning in mimicking what the demands of a 5k road race are, where you're in this kind of semi acidosis state, you're trying to like hang on for dear life and not, not have these positive H ions come on, come on in and shut you down. And, you know, we after the fourth one, I'm like, well, what do you think? And she's like, ah, I could do one more, but it would take everything I had. And I was like, yeah, it's not what we want to do. So I was like, all right, here's what we'll do. We're going to do, you know, eight minutes easy after the last, um, the end of the last 200. And we're going to do a two-mile tempo. We're going to just start off at six-minute pace. And we're just going to see. And you're just going to run a good rhythm. You're just going to breathe hard, run a good rhythm. And we'll see how fast it gets. If it stays six minute pace the whole way, great. If it gets faster, fine. You know, and sure enough, what the stimulus we want to do is it was kind of like the idea was to get a little mini flush out yeah. of her system to help flush all that acidosis out because again, she's really fit. You know, she, you know that that that's going to help trigger her recovery because the ne- the following day today was a a long run with four miles at a, just a hard type tempo effort in the middle of the long run. So knowing that coming back, we're like, okay, well, we want you to feel kind of good for tomorrow. We don't want you to be completely ripped. So, and sure enough, like we started off at like 91 was the first 400 and her last 400, everyone got a little bit faster inkling by inkling. And her last 400 was an 83. 
you know, it ended up being like, you know, if you look at the miles, but that miles don't even tell the whole story. Like the mile right. was 555 and the last mile was 543, but it, but it was every lap was getting faster because as she was buffering all that, you know, uh, getting all the the, the um, acidosis out of her system and being able to buffer that lactate against fuel, she felt better. And the perceived level of effort was the same on the eighth lap of the two-mile tempo as the first lap. You know, but it's like knowing all those things, which is, again, tough to do. You need a lot of experiences and you just need to be like complete geeks like Steve and I are and just read all day and night, you know, and really be passionate about it is really where it's at. I mean, we're not, I'm definitely not smart, but I just am passionate about coaching and getting better. So I always am like talking to mentors or colleagues or reading on stuff and and testing things out. But, and I've been coaching my wife now for five and a half years. So I know her really well. (laughs) That's all the (laughs) other caveat here. So I know what works really well for her to make her feel good and what she's capable of doing. But, you know, it, it's it's understanding those types of things about what we're trying to do. And now she walked away from what was a pretty challenging session with a lot of confidence for her because, you know, she was able to accomplish it. She was a little good done. And then, you know, today had a good hour, 45 minute long run with 20 minutes of like, you know, tempoing in it at like six minute type pace effort and just walked away from a really critical weekend of about 32 miles of work total in there but having this real heavy bout and now we're just kind of going chill out mode so she can hopefully get you know full adaptation and be a little bit fitter you know for that race day in a couple weeks then had we just stick to the piece of paper and said you have to do this because this is what the spreadsheet calls for to demonstrate and prove you're getting better. <laughs> and then it's like, <laughs> you know, and that's, it's tough because it's like you want, I, so many times I, you know, Steve and Steve probably is, you know, same, can speak the same, you know, truth here. Uh, as a post-collegiate coach, a college kid will call you up or a new athlete will call you up and they'll say, hey, well, explain me your training system. And I'm like, well, my training system is athlete first <laughs> and getting you to be the best you you possibly can be for as long as I coach you. And most people are like, huh? What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it's funny because I've definitely had those conversations where I'll be like, my training system is, you know, is is to develop you and athlete first and basically to figure out what works best for you and i'll have athletes be like so you have no training philosophy is that what you're telling me i'm like no 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 you know because sometimes it's it's a difficult concept to get um because it's not this like defined oh like i'm i'm lidiard with this x y and z um so sometimes I, I think I've actually lost, I've definitely lost a couple post-collegiates who are great people, really good athletes who I, I don't think, I, I didn't do a good enough job explaining what I was trying to get across. Um, so it's it's funny, but I, I like your example there with your wife because I think that illustrates a perfect way how to take how to take a challenging workout, manipulate it a little bit, and come out with this great success um, while not doing what was originally intended, right? Uh, I think that's that's the mark of, of good process-orientated coaching. I mean, one of the best things, <laughs> one of my tricks of the trade sometimes is 
is the middle of a workout is if an athlete I see is, is hitting that point where I don't want them to hit that yet, I'll insert something like, you know, three by 150 uh, float with a 50, well, three by 150 with a 50 meter float in between to flush some of that, that lactate mm-hmm. acidosis out. And then they come back on it and they'll finish the next one or two reps or whatever. And they'll, they'll finish feeling strong and they'll be like, coach, that was awesome. Like I nailed that. And it's just because of these small adjustments where if I just said, no, we're going to just fight our way through and do this last one, we would have, you know, gone the wrong direction in what we were hoping to do. Right. Right. So, (laughs) so Sometimes it's yes. it, it's those subtle adjustments that you make that are good. So we're heading up on on forty five minutes here. So I'm gonna I'm gonna cut it um, because we've had a couple couple hour long podcasts, and I don't want people to have to sit here and listen to us rant. <laughs> yeah, too, endure too long. to me and my rants. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, it's all rant. good. So, but yeah, but one of the one of the quotes that can that I thought of when when you were going on one of your rants was. And I actually tweeted like a couple of days ago was a, a Nassim Taleb quote who wrote anti fragile, a bunch fooled by random randomness, another a bunch of other books. But he actually tweeted this out when he was talking about GMOs. But I thought, oh, this is perfect for science and perfect for training. And he said, one cannot understand a macroscopic system by appealing to its components in isolation. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we get sometimes when we're talking about a system-based approach is you're looking at components in isolation instead of seeing the global picture, which is what we're trying to get you to see. Exactly. Every day you're hitting every system. Now, yes. some days you're trying to hit one system maybe in proportion more than another, but there's no day that's not a central nervous system day in the life of a human being. And there's no day in a runner that's not an aerobic day. I mean, now, how hard and how much, you know, stimulus you're trying to impact on the systems may vary from day to day and how quickly they can recover and regenerate from that impact you're enforcing on it may vary as well. But it's you got to remember, every system every day is being intercepted and engaged because you're a living, breathing human being, which is this huge ecosystem of systems. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. We like to think in isolation a lot a lot more. But it's easier. It's just it, easier. It, it, it's it, easier to think like that. It's easier it, to isolate it, it and it's it's just it's more it challenges you to really know what you're doing, to think, you know, with that more global perspective rather than that more kind of like I have the blinders on. Okay, all we're doing is 10 times 200 very fast with, you know, three minutes recovery because that's how long they tell me it takes ATP to resynthesize is three minutes. We're doing this versus watching your athletes saying, hey, look, we're just going to hit them at this speed. And when your, you know, velocity and, you know, force output starts to diminish, then we'll be done. Exactly. But it, it's, it's, again, it's much tougher to tell an athlete that, you know, than to just say, here's the prescription because we're, you know, and I, you know, really small, about 10 second rant here. We live in an over medicated society where it's just prescription after prescription after prescription how many calories to eat, how many, you know, reps to do, how many doses of this to take, how many milligrams of. Th- 
and it's easier for us to control and process. But you know, the catch twenty two is, and the irony of it is, you lose a lot of the ability to flourish and to do what sports meant to do, which is, you know, make people stop and go, "Wow, exactly. I didn't think that was possible." By controlling everything and having to be in complete control at all times. So, you know, it's the irony of the systems oriented approach is that you lose the ability to achieve the artistry of athletics that makes athletics what it really is. Beautiful. I love it. So we'll we'll end it there. It's it's past ten o'clock my time and my coffee fueled Sunday is is quickly uh <laughs> quickly crashing hard and i've got morning practice so um awesome talk as always john i i really enjoyed that one we got on a couple rants there so hopefully everyone enjoyed it um as always tweet at us whatever get in contact if you liked it if you want to hear something different or if you're just sick of hearing me and john talk and want phoebe back which yeah let us know (laughs) just 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 let us know so thanks a lot guys thanks guys